Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and our text this morning will be verses 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. Listen to the inerrant word of God. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members... And all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were made to drink of one spirit. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer before we go through our text this morning. Our Heavenly Father, again, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. I pray your Holy Spirit would teach us and illuminate the truths that are here. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give me clarity, that you would give me the ability to communicate your word in a way that is honoring to you. I pray that, again, you would help us to be excited about what we are, uh, we are learning and that you will help us to have a better understanding of you and the church and how we are to behave. And so I pray that you will build your church here this morning as they grow spiritually through the hearing of your word. I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Well, we've been going through this section beginning in chapter 12, and we've been talking about spiritual gifts. We've been talking about spiritual gifts, and we have found out that, first of all, that there are many spiritual gifts and yet one spirit. And we found out that the Corinthians had maybe fallen prey to false gifts. And Paul didn't want them to be ignorant about it. He wanted to, them to, co- to correct their thinking. And ultimately, we, we saw that these gifts were causing trouble in the church. They were causing divisions among the body. And it should not be so. And so Paul has really emphasized through these first verses 4 to 11 the diversity of the gifts within the body. There are many different gifts and very many different giftings. And we talked about that, that there are, there are different giftings. We all have a bunch of gifts or different gifts that are given to us. And we have a different giftedness and we won't look the same. And so Paul, after emphasizing the, the variety of gifts and the, diff- and the different members of the body, will now come to verses 12 and 13, and he is now going to emphasize the unity of the body, the unity of the body in, in spite of the many members. And he wants us to understand that we, we are united, and, and if we learn nothing else today, I want us to, un- to just put this in our mind. The gifts of the Spirit should ultimately lead to the unity of the body. There should be no disunity within the body of Christ. And so as he comes here, he first of all, as, as he comes to verse 12, he's going and he comes to this passage, he's really going to give us two truths about the unity of the body. And he's first of all going to give us the illustration of how can all of these diverse members be together. And he's going to give us an illustration, and he's going to il- illustrate it actually by the, the metaphor of a body. And then he's going to tell us how all those members got into the body. So he's going to show you 
How can it be by the illustration? Then he's going to show you how it actually happens in verse 13 as how these members get placed into this body. And so he begins in, in verse 12. And he says, For even as the body is one, and yet there has many members, all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body. Now he's speaking here, not of the church at this point, but he's speaking of, the, of a physical body. And he wants to give you an illustration of, of how can all these members be together. And Paul now uses one of his most uh, used metaphors for the body. He uses other ones. He, he talks about the body being, being a, a flock, a kingdom, a family, a vine in the branches. But here he designates the church as a body. And he says the church is like a physical body. Now, if you'll notice, your body is made up of many different members. It is, it, it is, it is, is diverse. And each one of these members is dependent on, on one another. If I was to come along and, and chop off your little toe, the rest of your body would respond. They would, it would know right away that something isn't happening that is good. And so he says, your body is a, a complex unity of all kinds of parts that work in perfect harmony. It's an or organism, it's, it, it, it's diverse, yet there is one body, there's one energy, one life to that unit. And so he says, this is what the church is. It's an organic whole that is held together by what one life principle, right? So if, I, if, if, you're, if your body's just there and you're dead, there's no life principle in it. There's, it's, not, it's not working at all. But he says the body is, a, is actually not just physical, but there's a life principle that's in it. And so it gives you tremendous value beyond just your physical body because it is a life principle. Because if I was just to take your body and I was to boil it down, most of you is water. Well, we've got lots of water, right? We might get a couple of, of a little bit of, of, of minerals out of you, right? Maybe a little bit of lime, but really not much value. But with the life principle in it, there is value. And so he says the church is really like the body that has all of these different pieces, but is still one unity. And I want you to even think about this. You actually have pieces of your body that are duplicated, right? You have two ears, right? You have two ears, you have two feet, you have two hands. But even as you look at those, right? They're different. You ever tried putting your shoes on the wrong foot? Right? There's a, pur there's a purpose for two, sh for two shoes, right? Your ears are different. I probably shouldn't have said that because you're all going to be looking at my ears, but your ears are different, right? In fact, the, the new thing that they're doing now for, instead of face recognition is ear recognition because your ears are as distinct as your, as your fingerprints. 
So he says all of that is diverse. Many different diversities in the same body. And yet it's still one perfect body that is together. It's one organic whole. And so he says that is just as your body is, is one organic whole. And, and just as like your body can't be torn apart. He says so is the church. It, the church is an organic, organ, uh, organic thing. With a common life principle. Many members with a common life principle. There are not two kinds of Christians. There are only one. Baptized into the body, no matter if we are Jew or Greek, bond or free. There are no Christians who are on the ins and the others who are on the outs. We are all in the body of Christ. We are all members of his body. We are all part of the organic whole through which pulses the very lifeblood of Christ himself. We all have a common energy and it is the energy of the living Christ who dwells in us. So he says the church is a body. It's this organic thing that, that is held together by life principle of Christ. Now notice this. He says this. So also Christ. So also Christ. He says the body, the body is, is organic. It's all together. Many members still unified. And then he says so also Christ. Now, right away, you might think, that's strange. I did. That's strange, right? Shouldn't he say, so is the church? So is Christ's church. So what does he mean, so also Christ? Well, he certainly is speaking of the church. He certainly is speaking of the church. But what does he mean, so also Christ? Now listen to this. The church is what? Christ's body. The church is Christ's body. When you got saved, you were put into what? Christ's body. He is the head of the church. We are his body. Now we kind of have this idea, and I think maybe I'm speaking for myself, but we tend to separate the church from Christ himself. We almost think there's this body over here, which is ch the church, and this is Christ over here. And yet he says what? We are attached to Christ. We are attached to Christ. We are attached to the living Christ. Christ is living through us. What affects any member of the spiritual body affects Christ, for he lives his life through the body. We are so attached to Christ, we are so in Christ, that whatever we do, listen, actually affects each other. It actually, when we do something to one of us, it actually affects who? Christ. Acts 9.5. Remember Paul on the road to Damascus? He's going out and he's persecuting Christians and he's putting them to death. The Lord appears to him and he says, Paul, Paul, he said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom 
you are persecuting. Notice that? He didn't say, Paul, you're persecuting my people. You're persecuting my church. He says, you are persecuting me. Why? Because Christ is living in the church. It's a mysterious way this organism operates. It's widely scattered around from generation to generation, but it, it contains Jesus Christ. And so he says, literally, literally this, Christ is living through the church. Right? Christ came in his incarnation and he lived on earth and you saw him. But Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and he has ascended and gone to the right hand of the Father, but he has left a witness here on earth and that is the church. And they are literally the incarnation of Christ now. Not that you are Christ, not that you are God, but literally how can the world see Christ? It's to be through you. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ what lives in me. For me to live is what? Christ. For me to live is Christ. And the same is true for you. It is the life of Christ in you. It is God's eternal life. That is when you die, you don't die. You, are, you already have what eternal life because Christ is living in you. Do all Christians have life? Yes. They all possess the life of Christ. And so Paul says this, and this is very clearly what, what he is trying to get at. Listen. If Christ came in the flesh and lived a life here and he left and he left you as a demonstration of who he is. It's about absurd to have um, I lost the word. It is absurd to have divisions within the body over the spiritual gifts as to have your body fighting against itself. He says, how can there be divisions among you when, you're, when you are actually, you are a body? It, how do you think it would, does your body go around and say, well, guess what? You know what? The heart says to the, to the liver, I'm more important than you right? You just sift out a few things, but I, I pump blood to every single part of the body. Right? Does your brain say, wait, wait a minute, I'm more important than the stomach, right? If it wasn't for me, there would be no impulses to go around. But you cut out the stomach and what? The brain dies. You cut out the brain. Well, hopefully, hopefully I don't keep talking, but the thing is, right? You die, Right? And when your body fights itself, what happens? It dies. And Paul says, listen, Corinthians, you guys have to recognize that you are the body of Christ with Christ in you and you are to be his, 
his physical representation on the earth. And how absurd is it that you who have Christ in you, who have the life of Christ in you, who are here to represent Christ, are now fighting against each other with the very gifts that have been given to you as Christ has sent the Holy Spirit to give you gifts. So Paul says, listen, there are many members in the, in the body, just like your physical body, but they are to work in concert. Everyone is important, everyone is necessary, and everyone is pulling in the same direction. And how can you have divisions over what God has placed in the church? In fact, 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God what, dwells in you? He dwells in the church because every individual in the church is filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, this is how you can be united. This is how you can, this is how the pieces can all come together. Recognize that you are the body of Christ. You are placed together just like a physical body to feed one another, to, to give resources to one another. And ultimately you have the life of Christ that goes through all of you. And this is how you are placed together. And then he says in verse 13, he says, not only this is the illustration of how all the members are together, but now he says, this is how it actually happens. This is how it actually happens. He says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were made to drink of one spirit. So now he begins and he says, listen, he goes on to explain the significance of this theology that we saw. He says this. Paul says, I want you to notice two things. I want you to see the formation of the body here and secondly, the inner life. First of all, he says, we were baptized into one body, the inner life. At the end of the, at the verse, we are all made to drink. Then he says, we have been what? Baptized by one spirit. Baptized by one spirit. What do we mean by that? First of all, we look and it says, for by one spirit. So, some have said, well, we're baptized of the spirit. But there's a difference here. He says, you are baptized, and I, and I would probably translate this with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not the thing, is not the one who is baptizing you. The Holy Spirit is not the one baptizing you. The bap you are being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the one who baptizes us. And I think you're going to say to me, Pastor, I really don't know where you're going with this because it seems like you're mucky muck. But I want, I want you to understand this. If we understand that Jesus Christ is the baptizer, and, and we'll take a look at that, and that the Holy Spirit is the medium by which we are baptized, 
we are going to stop looking for a second baptism of the Spirit. And so as we understand and we put all of this theology together, we will ultimately come up with an understanding that baptism of the Spirit is not something that we look for, but it's something that has already happened. I just want you to note there's no statement in Scripture that says the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You won't find that in Scripture. It's not a scriptural term. In fact, you won't find anywhere in, this, in the Bible where the Spirit does the baptizing. Look, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 He says this, I indeed baptize you with water, John the Baptist says, I, I, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Who's doing the baptizing? Christ. What are you being baptized in? The Holy Spirit. So who's the baptizer? Christ. It's simple. He's the one coming who's mightier than John. Christ will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and later on with fire. Now, this is not Pentecostal fire. It says that the flames came, the Spirit came down like what? Tongues of fire. It says like tongues of fire. You will often hear those who are crying in the charismatic movement and they want to tell you and you hear them saying they are crying for fire. They say, hey, they are, they are saying fire, fire, right? And then they sing songs, let fire come down, let fire come down. There's a particular group that sings this for about 12 minutes, fire come down, fire come down. You don't want fire to come down. Right? Jesus says what in verse 12? He will fan his hand and he will purge the floor. He will gather his wheat into the granary and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Right? You don't want fire to come down. You don't want the judgment of God to come upon you. So if you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit you will be baptized with fire. There's only two options here. You either are baptized with the Holy Spirit or you will be baptized with fire and will be on your way to hell. Mark 1.7 again says the same thing. There comes neither one mightier, he says, there comes one mightier than I the latch of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit. Again, Christ is a baptizer. Luke 3.16. And again, we just see how the word of God continues to teach the same things. John answered saying to them, I indeed baptize you with water, 
One mightier than I comes, the latch of whom shoes, whose shoes I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Again, Christ is the baptizer. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Again, John chapter 1, verse 33. And I know him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water. And the same one said to me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34. This is the Son of God. So who's the baptizer? It has to be Christ. Christ is the one who baptizes. But I think it's important for us to understand that we recognize that Christ is the one who is sending and baptizing with the Holy Spirit. And so he says, this is, this is the one who is actually baptizing you is Jesus Christ who baptizes you what? In the element of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to go a step further. He says, you've been, you've been baptized by what? One spirit. Not many spirits, one spirit. Notice this, you have all been all baptized. All. And here all means what? All. Right? He's speaking to believers. He says, now I tell you how many Christians have been baptized, have the baptism of the Spirit? All. Not some. Not, a, not an elect few. Not a special group. But All. And so when someone comes to you and says, listen, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Have you had the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, not according to their definition, but according to the biblical definition, you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit because you were baptized by Christ at conversion. In other words, in order to be part of Christ, you need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, when he talks about baptism here, again, he's not talking about water. There's no water here. He's talking about a spiritual baptism. There are some people who would say that when you're baptized in water, you get the Holy Spirit. I would counter with that. There are lots of people who have been baptized who don't have the Holy Spirit. Right? There are lots of people who go through that whole process, and yet they are unregenerate. They don't believe in Christ particularly. They don't practice the Christian life. They know nothing of the changing power of God and the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. So he's not talking about water. The word baptizo is used in the New Testament to refer to a spiritual immersing. And he is saying that every believer that has taken, been taken by the same Spirit and immersed in the same unity with Christ that constitutes his body. You see, that's the very clear word. There isn't any water here. Baptism here is a spiritual reality. It refers to bringing a believer into vital union with Christ. The word means to immerse, and somebody must be immersed in water so somebody could be immersed in the body of Christ. And he's saying this, 
You once were in, in, in darkness, now you were in light. Now you are been placed, what, into a new environment, into a new place, in new air. Just like you were baptized in water, now you are in Christ. A new union, a new identification, a new oneness with Christ. Remember, we looked at Moses back in, in Matthew 3.11 and 1 Corinthians 10. They were baptized into Moses. They had a new identification. They were identified with him as a leader. And so we are baptized in the spirit. Christ is now who we are identified with. And so we are united with Christ. Well, some people will say, yeah, yeah, you, you are baptized certainly with the Holy Spirit, but you, you, need, you need fresh water. You need more water, right? Some say, you know, you know if, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me, right? And, and out of you will come what? Rivers of living water, right? You got that happening? You need, you need the Holy Spirit to give you some more flow, right? You're a little dry, you need something new. Well, if any man thirst, Jesus said, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now, do you notice that? What is a prerequisite to having rivers of water flowing out of you? Belief. Belief, right? Jesus is, is talking here about what? Coming to salvation. In other words, when you come to salvation, you get the Holy Spirit. And now that you have all of the Holy Spirit, not some of it, not part of it, all of it. He will flow from you. You don't need something else. You don't need more. You've already got everything. Because he says, out of you, will f it will already what flow. It's been given to you upon belief. It's predicated on belief. Paul says in Acts chapter 11, verse 15, at the Gentile conversion, Peter writes, as, and as I began to speak, this, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as on us at the beginning. Then, he, rem, then remembered I the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized, what? With the Holy Spirit. For as much as God gave them the same gift as he did us who believed, on the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. They were baptized when? When they believed. It's predicated on a belief. Who gets the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Anyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Again in Galatians. For you were all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ. There again, you have it. For all of you are what? Sons of God. How? By faith in Christ. 
You have been what? Baptized into Christ. That's a believer. As many of you have been baptized into Christ, have what? Put on Christ. That's how you become a believer. Baptism comes with what? Belief. With belief. It comes with conversion. And again, there is nowhere in Scripture a command to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's no exhortation to receive the Holy Spirit. Why? You've already got it. It's the whole point of unity in Christ. If you take it that away, you have destroyed part of the doctrine of salvation. Unity is based upon having what been baptized by the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice something else. For by one spirit, we, we all have been baptized. Have been baptized, right? Past tense, aorist. It's already happened. It's not something that he's looking forward to in the, in the future. He says, you already have it. It's already yours. Now, people are going to say, yeah, but just a minute, Pastor. What was going on in the book of Acts? Because I've, I've got a few things that, that I don't understand in the book of Acts. Because I think maybe, maybe you're just, you're leaving a few things out. Because you just kind of skipped over the book of Acts. Well, I want you to look at a couple of things. And, and we want to make sure that we understand what's taking place. Jesus said to his disciples in, in, in Acts chapter 1. He says in verse 4 or verse 5. For John the Baptist baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. All right. We flip over to chapter 2. And suddenly they came from heaven a noise like violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house and they were sitting and they appeared to them tongues of fire distributing on them and they rested on each one and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterances. Now there's a temptation there to say, see, they were baptized, they're going to be baptized and that baptism ended up in what? Speaking in tongues. But that's not what the text says. The text says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they spoke in tongues. Filling is empowered for living. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us in our lives. Now remember, filling of the Spirit isn't getting more of the Spirit. Because we already got the Spirit. He's indwelling us. Filling of the Spirit means the Spirit gets more of you. In other words, you are, you are submitting to his leadership and following him. You're in obedience to him and, and following after him. It's not that the Holy Spirit somehow descends upon you and you get more of him. Because when he indwelled you, you got all of him. And so what's taking place here is two things that are taking place. There's the baptism of the Spirit and there's the filling of the Spirit. Now the filling of the Spirit is visible, but the 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 
Baptism of the Spirit, you can't see, you can't feel. It's positional. In other words, and this is where Paul is finally describing it, it's, we see the baptism of the Spirit in Acts. Paul defines it here in 1 Corinthians, where you are baptized, what, into the body of Christ. It is something that's positional. It's not something that you feel. It's not something that you experience. It's not something that empowers you for living. It simply places you into the body of Christ. It's positional. And so even here in chapter 2, we have to recognize two things are taking place. Filling and baptism. Because this is the beginning of the church. That's why Jesus said, in a few days you will be what? Baptized. Christ is beginning his church. And Acts then will now present the beginning as God builds his church. Well, some of you might say, yeah, but I don't understand. Because it sure seems like the Holy Spirit came after for some of these people. There seems to be a gap here. Remember Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans? They didn't, get, they didn't get the Holy Spirit till later. How come? How about those in, in the Gentiles in chapter 10? Right? They believed what? And then they now what? Received the Holy Spirit. Why is this gap? We see chapter 19, the Old Testament believers who followed John. What is going on? Well, we know this in the first century that God in chapter two when at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and confirmed to what? The gospel to the Jews. They were involved, they would be in the church. And then he comes in chapter eight to the Samaritans. And maybe God is working from Jew to Gentile slowly because he goes through the Samaritans, which are half Jew and half Gentile. And he says, guess what? They're part of the church too. And I'm going to demonstrate that they have the same Holy Spirit because I'm going to baptize them and place them in the church. And they are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and to demonstrate that God has saved them too. Then he goes to the Gentiles and he does the same thing. But again, this is a historical book that demonstrates that God is demonstrating clearly in the, new, in, the, in the first century that the Holy Spirit goes to all believers, not just to Jews, but to the whole world. But it is not indicative of, of what is to take place for the rest of church history. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit indwells us baptizes us into the body and then fills us as we submit to his prompting. And so he says, listen, this is what's taking place. He says, you have been baptized, what? Into the church, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. He says there's no racial bounds, there's no social bounds. Everyone receives the same Holy Spirit and is baptized into the church. How can there be divisions? Now remember, the, the, the Corinthians had divisions, what, at the Lord's Supper, right? We had the rich and we had the poor. They're dividing over teachers. We're, they're dividing all, over all kinds of things. 
And he reminds them, listen, you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the church. And everyone is baptized into that same body. Doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. It doesn't matter what your social status is. All the church is baptized by that same spirit and placed into the body. And regardless of what you think, you are all together. And so he says, this is how all the, all the different pieces get together because Christ baptizes us with the Holy Spirit that now places us into Christ's body. And then lastly, as he comes along here, he says, not only are we placed in the body of Christ, but there is an eternal thing that is going on as well. And he says, we were all made to drink of one spirit. We were all made to drink of one spirit. And what does that mean? We are all made to drink of one spirit. Now, I think it's important, and I, I want us to understand, uh, to understand this, because I think this ties it all together. When you drink water, it goes into you and it becomes part of you, right? It enters in. And he says, you all were made to drink of the Holy Spirit. It's a t often the Holy Spirit is referred to in, 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 as in the idea of water. And he says, you have been made to drink what? The Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit, just like when you drink water, it goes inside you. You now have what? Receive the Holy Spirit to indwell you. Every single believer has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. In other words, you have to have the Holy Spirit to be a believer. And he says, each one of you who's been placed in the body also, not only were you put into this organi organism of the church, but you literally had the Holy Spirit come to indwell you. You now, are, you are now have the Holy Spirit taking residence in your life. He's now dwelling in you. If any man not have the spirit of Christ, he is what? None of his. And he says, you now have that Holy Spirit in you. He now is indwelling you. He came to you. Now listen to this. He came to you when? When you were baptized. When you were baptized. Now, I want us to put this, all these pieces together because this is how we understand and this is how we know what this is. You were baptized, you were placed into the body and it's unified because you have the life of Christ. You were baptized into this body and at the same time you were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In other words, this all takes place when? At conversion at conversion and Paul I mean Paul is tying these two things together 
He says, you were baptized into the church, which makes you into the body of Christ. And at the same time, you were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And only believers are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You don't ever lose the Holy Spirit. And therefore, these things are tied together. And they cannot be a second work. They cannot be a second blessing. They cannot be some, baptism cannot be something that takes place post-conversion. Paul is clear that it places you into the body, which is positional, and it happens at the same time that you are indwelt with the Spirit, and only believers are indwelt with the Spirit. And when do they become indwelt with the Spirit? When they believe. And so we can know this. You're already baptized. You're already indwelt. You don't need more of the Spirit. You simply need to live in obedience to the Spirit. And so Paul says, how can we be fighting? How can we be having disunity in the church? And how can the gifts be used to exalt one over the other? And we think we're better than others. And we destroy one another when we are one body. Your body parts don't fight. In fact, if your body parts do fight, you die. And he says, you've been placed in this body by the Spirit who's placed you and immersed you in the, by the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit that now has taken residence not only as he is over the church, but in individuals. How can we not be what? going in the same direction. We have the same spirit, the same spirit working on us, the same spirit who's working in the same direction as the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can we all not be working in the same direction? So Paul wants to make it very clear to the Corinthians. Stop the disputes. Stop the disunity. Recognize how all of these parts were placed together by Christ and the Holy Spirit as he has chosen. We all have that animating life of Jesus Christ. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. How can we be fighting one another when we literally have the same life flowing through us? And so Paul calls us to look at this theology and he calls us to look at these concepts and he calls us to understand them and allow these truths to permeate our lives to the point where we recognize that God demands unity within the church. That he demands that our spiritual gifts be exercised in love and for the building up of the body, not for the tearing it down. And when we do that, then the church will be built up to the fullness of the man Christ Jesus and God will be pleased in his church and we will be a bride that is what? Ready for the bridegroom. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. We thank you for this reminder from Paul that we are your body that you have placed us in the body by the Holy Spirit. 
and that your Holy Spirit also indwells us individually and that you expect us as our own physical bodies to work in harmony with one another for your glory and for your praise. So I pray that we would allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives to make us more Christ-like and that we would exercise the gifts of the Spirit according to the character of the Spirit that we might build the church, the church might be built, I'm sorry, into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ to the praise of the glory of his grace. In your name, amen.